good evening. It's good to have each of you with us this evening. You know, Wednesday night we were talking about the difference from having to and wanting to, and that's a big difference. And so we're glad you've decided to be with us this evening. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in the little book of Jude tonight. Best way to find that is turn to Revelation and then go back one book in front of Revelation, the little book of Jude. And we're going to be walking through that this evening, and we are delighted to have each of you with us tonight as we look at some things together from the Word of God. I want to echo some things that Jason said this morning at the beginning of his lesson. You know, it, it is a distinct honor for both me and him to go to other places and preach. We've been north, south, east, and west this year. And both of us got to preach in places where our family members are, and that just is so special to us. But my favorite place to preach is right here, right among you. And there's no other place I'd rather be than right here. And so we thank you for allowing us to be on the road sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's a lot. I think this is the first Sunday Jason and I have been in the same place together in like two or three months. I mean, he's gone, I'm gone, he's gone, but here we are. And that's very dear and special to us, and we're thankful for that. Years ago, I started doing some special things on Sunday nights, and our beloved Dave Rams, or not Dave Ramsey, uh, Dave Mary, had something else in my mind there, sorry about that. Dave Mary used to always call these fireside chats. And this is going to be one of my fireside chats. So it's just me, you, and our Bible. No PowerPoints, no note cards. So just get your text out. We're going to look at some things together from the Bible that we hope will be helpful for us as we try to encourage each other and think about our walk together with God. The Great Wall of China is over 13,000 miles long. It can be viewed from space. The average height of that wall is 25 feet. The average width is about 15 feet. Construction began in the 7th century B.C., and on two separate occasions, the wall was breached. No one climbed over it. No one knocked a hole in the wall. No one went underneath it. But on two separate occasions, guards at the gates were bribed, and they just stepped aside and let the enemy go right on through. And that leads us to what Jude is going to be writing about. Jude is one of those very special books in our Bible. There are five books in our Bible that have only one chapter. Did you know that? Jude, 2 John, 3 John, Philemon, and one in the Old Testament. Obadiah, Obadiah. Five books that have only one chapter each. But each of them are special. And so it's not the length of the book that matters. It's what is said, and that's significant to us as we look at some things in that. The English writer Barclay said this about the book of Jude. He says that there are many times in the history of the church, especially in the revivals of the church, when Jude was not far off from being the most relevant book of the New Testament. And there's some things we're going to read tonight. I think it's going to make us see that. One of the neat things about this very short book of Jude is how much he pulls out from Old Testament history. Just walk through some of this with me. In verse 5, he talks about leaving the land of Egypt and how they were destroyed in the wilderness. Verse 6, he talks about the sinful angels. Verse 7, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Down in verse 11, there's Cain, there's Balaam, there's Korah. And in verse 14, he talks about Enoch. And in the midst of this, we find verse 9 tells us something that we find nowhere else in our Bible but it says, Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. You won't read about that in the Old Testament, but here he pulls that out. 
And throughout this book, what he's talking about is God's wrath and God's judgment upon those who do not obey God. He said, remind us in verse 5, those in Israel were destroyed. He's going to talk about these sinful angels in verse 6, that they were kept in eternal bonds of darkness. In verse 15, he talks about how God will execute judgment and convict all the ungodly. Now, what this is about begins in verse 3, and especially in verse 4. And I'm going to kind of cover that, and then we will get into what this book means for you and me. In verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which is once delivered for all the saints. I had something else in mind I was going to tell you. But the need of the hour compels me. I'm going to lay that aside. This is more important. And we understand that in different times. There's a great passage in the book of 1 Chronicles. If you don't know this passage, you don't know this passage. 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32, it says, The men of Issachar recognize the time. And that's essential for us. We need to recognize the times that we're in. Sometimes moms and dads forget that. We grandparents especially forget that. We start talking to our grandkids and say, well, you know, when I went to school, well, the times are different, you know. And even though we walked uphill to school and walked uphill to get home from school, and it snowed in August, you know, as we tell our grandkids, the times have changed. And the same thing fits for a congregation. We need to recognize the times. As a church, this is not 1970. And when we try to do things by 1970 methods, it doesn't work today. Now, back in the 1970s, some of you were around. Before you have a gospel meeting or some special event, you went through the neighborhood and knocked on doors. Today, if you knock on somebody's door, if they will answer it, first thing they're going to say is, what? You know, you are bothering me, okay? Times have changed. The men of Issachar recognize the times. And Jude is recognizing the time. I wanted to write to you about this. But here's something that's more pressing. Here's something we need to talk about. And that's how he begins this book. And so it tells us that there's something urgent taking place. And that leads us to verse 4. In verse 4, there's, four th there's three things that come up right away. He says in verse 4, he says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Three, see, the, the use of three words here all begin with the word you here. Unnoticed, he says in verse 4. He says also, he says, uh, they were beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons. They, they, they snuck in unnoticed. They're ungodly, he says, who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness or sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They were upsetting the teaching of Christ. Now, now, when I read this, the thought comes to my mind is, how did they sneak in? And how was it they weren't noticed? Were the shepherds asleep at the wheel? Why didn't this go on? Why wasn't this noticed? So as Jude begins this book, he's letting them know that I can't write to you about what I was going to write to you about. I was going to talk about salvation in Jesus. A powerful topic. But we got somebody who snuck in. And they didn't just sneak in. They're ungodly. And not only are they ungodly, they're denying Jesus and they're causing trouble. And so because of that, 
he has to deal with these things. Now, notice how this goes through. In verse 7, as he talks about these people in in verse 4, certain persons. He begins verse 7 by saying, just as Sodom and Gomorrah. What's just like Sodom and Gomorrah? These people who snuck in unnoticed. Just like bribing the guards at the, at the uh, Great Wall of China. The wall wasn't knocked down. They snuck in because the guards weren't doing their job. Notice what it says in verse 10. But these men, what men? Back to verse 4. These men who snuck in. These men who are ungodly. These men who are changing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 11, woe to them. Who's them? These men who snuck in. These men who's causing the trouble. Look at verse 12. These men. He continued to talk about this same group of people. When we get to verse 14, about these also. He's still talking about these men here and the trouble that they caused. In verse uh, 15. Excuse me, verse 16, he says, these, talking about this group again, are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage of them. And then the idea that they're trying to get the best of those people there. Now, back in verse 12 and verse 13, Jude gives three illustrations of what these people are like. He says they're like a fruitless tree. They're like wandering stars. They're like clouds without rain. And all three of those represent the same thing, and that's simply is they're unproductive. They're not helpful. They're not doing what ought to be done. And so what Jude is telling us is, we got a problem. Somebody among us is upsetting us. And so we need to get back to some serious things here. And so what follows, I want to give you four words here that kind of follow in the book of Jude here that he tells these people. I want, I want you to be aware of what's going on, and here's what we're going to do about this. So we begin in verse 3. First admonition he tells these people. He says, once again, Beloved, while I was writing every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt a necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Don't contend earnestly for the brethren. Contend earnestly for the faith. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, we're told that there's one God, one Lord, one baptism, one body. There is one faith. It's not like going to the ice cream shop and you get a variety of flavors. What opinion do you want? What doctrine do you want? There is one faith. And he tells them to contend earnestly for that. In Acts chapter 2, as we read about those early Christians, it says in verse 42 that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. Now, we're living in a time when even among our fellowship, folks are putting feelings and emotions ahead of the Bible. Well, this is how I feel, even though the Bible may say otherwise. This is what I think, even though the Bible says otherwise. And so what Jude was telling them is, now, now we, got this, we got folks who snuck in. We got folks who are causing trouble. We got some ungodly people who are not serious about Jesus. What should we do? Contend earnestly for the faith. And that word contend is a military word. It means to put up a fight. Draw a line in the sand, dig your heels in, and we stand right here. If you will, take your Bibles and go back to the book of John chapter 10. Remember John 10, 
where Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. Notice again what it says in verse 10. John 10 and verse 10. As he talks about the difference between him and the thief. The thief, he says, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. So the words of Jude simply are, put up a fight. Now Satan shows up on your front step, you would not let him in. Satan wants to be into your marriage, don't let him in. Satan wants to be in this church, don't let him in. Satan wants to be in your heart, don't let him in. And the idea is we must put up a fight. When I was in Mount Sterling a week or two ago, for the invitation, they sang a song I'd never heard before. It's called I've Been Redeemed, but it was a children's song. And the second chorus of that song simply says this. Now the devil and me, we disagree. Now the devil and me, we disagree. Now the devil and me, we disagree. I hate him and he hates me. All my sins are washed away. I have been redeemed. And I love that song. We need to learn it here because I think we adults need to be singing that song. To disagree with the devil. Whatever the devil's for, we're against. Whatever he says is good, we know is bad. Whatever he likes, we don't like. The devil hates me, and I hate the devil. Now think about that. He hates you. There's not one good thing the Bible says about the devil. There's not one good moment the devil has in the Bible. He hates you. He has plans for you that's not nice. He'd love to see the tears run down your eyes as he wrecks your marriage. He'd love to see this congregation split and divide and dwindle down so small that the doors have to be closed for good. He'd love to see you overwhelmed with sorrow and fear and worry. He thinks it's a great day when you're discouraged. He wants you to get so angry that you say things you shouldn't say. He'll try to make you envious of others. He will fill your eyes with lust and materialism. He hates you. He wants you to walk away from Jesus. There's no greater enemy in your life than the devil. He will not leave you alone until you leave this planet. You can resist him and he'll flee, but he always comes back. He will attack you. He will scare you. He'll bait you, he'll confuse you, he'll try to compromise, he'll use error, he'll use family, he'll use fame, he'll use fortune. He doesn't play by the rules and he doesn't care that he breaks the rules. His destiny is set. There is no salvation for the devil. He's bound for hell and he knows it. He hates you. And so what Jude begins by saying here is, we got to start digging our heels in. And put up a fight. And what Jews people need to understand is you have to put up a fight. And you put this fight up by demanding we follow what the Bible says. We put up a fight by understanding we do things the Bible way and no other way. We put up a fight by understanding that Satan has no place in this building, no place in my home, and no place in my heart. That's how we have to see this. And so while he talks about people sneaking in, and they're ungodly. And they're going to start saying things that's not true. The number one response is fight. Paul would tell Timothy multiple times, fight the good fight of faith. And sometimes we Christians are a little soft on that. 
Sometimes we say, well, you know what? We, we, we should never hate anybody. Yeah, I hate the devil. I hate the devil. And I look forward to the day that God says, devil, you're gone out of all people's lives forever. And that's what we need to see. Now, back to the book of Jude. Second thing he tells them, down in verse 17. 17 to verse 21. He's going to tell them, continue to do what is right. Continue to do what is right. He says, but you, beloved. Now notice, we've gone through this middle section. It talks about these, these, these. That's talking about those ungodly people. That's talking about those who snuck in. But now, I'm talking about you. But you, verse 17, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers, following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your own most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. What's, what's the source of misery? It's the devil. What's the source of trouble? It's the devil. It's not, it's not the preaching of God's word that caused trouble. It's these ungodly people that were not doing these things. So when others are selling out, you stay the course. When others are dancing to the music of the Pied Piper, you stay the course. When others claim that they know a better way, you stay the course. When some boast of a shortcut, you stay the course. When others talk of a new way, you stay the course. And notice the language he uses here in verse 20 and 21. It's the idea of build up your faith. The stronger you are, the more faith you have, the less worry, the less problems, the less doubts you have. Build up your faith, he says. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray to God, is what he's saying. Pour out your heart to God. More than just these, thank you, bring us back in the next appointed time, guide, guard, and direct us, whatever that means. We pray to God. Keep in God's love, he says, and await the coming of the Lord. All those wonderful admonitions, again, remind us, what are we supposed to do? The enemy's at the door, they're knocking, they want to sneak in. You're going to put up a fight, he says. Number two, you're going to keep doing what you're supposed to do. Now, number three, verse 22 and verse 23, you're going to connect with others who need Jesus. Connect with others who need Jesus. Let's read 22 and 23. He says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And in some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. Have mercy on some, save some, snatch some out of the fire. You know, the last phrase reminds me of that time when Jesus in the Gospels, as a father came to him and his boy had a demon. And the father said sometimes that, that demon would put that boy in the fire. And then sometimes that demon would put that boy in the water trying to destroy him. And, and the idea here is, here's some folks we know, here's some brethren we know, and they're in the fire, and, and, and you're snatching them out, you're digging your hand right in there to save them. And the reason you do this is because of the love of Jesus. You do this by teaching Jesus. You do this by being honest. You do this by standing for truth. You do this by caring. So the enemy's at the door. They want to breach the walls. Put up a fight. Continue to do what's right. 
Connect with those who need Jesus. And then finally, the last two verses, verse 24 and 25, consider the great blessings you have in Jesus. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to only our God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times and now and forever. Amen. God who can keep you from stumbling. You do not have to fall. You do not have to make a mess of your life. God can keep you from that. And then God can make you stand. You're not going to be trembling behind a tree. You're not going to be running the other direction, but make you stand before God blameless with great joy. You see, Satan hopes you fall asleep at the wheel. Satan hopes that you can be bought off. Satan hopes that you will just let him walk right on in. But Jude says, can't do that. Times are different now. We're aware of the times we're recognizing what's going on, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to put up a fight. We're going to keep doing what is right. We're going to connect with others who need Jesus, and we're going to remember what God has promised us, what great blessings there are in him. If you got, now, if you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and we'll kind of wrap it up here in Romans chapter 8. Again, just wonderful reminders to us of the great promises we have in God. And we need to see that. There's a lot of things being said today within our fellowship that's just funny. And not laughing funny, but just odd. Not true to the scriptures. There's folks who are saying things that you can't put a verse on. Yet they're saying these things. And we need to recognize that even if it's one of us, that doesn't make it right. And what we need to recognize is we stand with the Bible. We stand with God through all things. And so here in Romans chapter 8, in a series of questions, the apostle says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Well, now we can answer that question. The devil's against us. The world's against us. False teachers are against us. The enemy's against us. We can come up with a list, but that list doesn't matter because God is for us. If God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us because God is better than all these things. And then down verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Those are all hardship things. I mean, I dare say if we look at this list in verse 35, it says, okay, you get to pick out one this week. Which one do you want? Which I don't want any of those. They're all hardships. They're all hard times. But none of them represent that God has left me. So I'm going through some persecution. So I'm going through some troubles. I'm going through some hard times. That does not mean God does not love me. Who shall separate us from the love of God? None of those things would, he said. Then down verse 37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now, if you're going to underline your Bible, you ought to underline that phrase, overwhelmingly conquer. That means this is a blowout. It's like playing Ohio State in football. You don't have a chance. You know? I don't follow Ohio State because I know what happens every week. They win. It's disgusting. They win every week. 
You know, it's a blowout, it's a shutout, it's a no-hitter. It's not that we just barely made it. It wasn't that we squeaked through. It's the idea that we are overwhelmingly conquer, he said, through Christ, he says, who loved us. For I'm convinced, 38, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, things present, things to come, or powers or height or death or any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you. That's the point. And God is not going to let that, whatever happens to you, separate that. Now, if you walk away from God, that's by your doings, not his doings. If you feel like God's very far away from you, it's not God who moved. It's you who moved. And so what Jude is telling us is that there are times when we need to recognize the times. And there's times when we need to be serious about holding fast and holding true to what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do here as a church, what we're trying to do in our families, what we're trying to do as individuals who are trying to walk with Jesus Christ. All of those things necessitate this idea that I follow the book of God. As Jason said so well in the sermon this morning, as was our theme this year, I am his and he is mine. And wherever we go, Whatever we do, that's the concept. Winston Churchill gave this speech at a college years and years ago, and he, and he just had a speech of these three words. He said, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And then he sat down. And everybody was amazed. And that's really the message of Jude. Don't give up. Satan's going to try this way. Put up a fight. He's going to try to climb over the wall. You be ready. He's going to dig a hole under the tunnel. Be ready. He's going to knock on the front door. Be ready. He's going to try this, this, and that. And the thing is, we are going to stay true to God and his word. And that's a, that's a message we need as individuals, as a family, and as a church. Our culture today is constantly changing. Constantly changing. I mean, if a person can stand up and change his gender... Why can't he change his age? I look old, but actually I'm only 14 years old. Yeah. If you can change your age, why can't you change your species? I'm no longer human. I'm a canine. You see how ridiculous, and our culture says you've got to embrace that because you don't want to offend anybody. That's where we are today. No, we stick with God. And in the beginning, God created them, male and female. That's what God said. God joined what a marriage is. God joined what we should do as individuals. And when our culture constantly kept saying, well, you've got to do this. This is where everybody's at. This is where we need to be. And more and more people started accepting that and embracing that and believing that. We say, we stay with God. The word never changes. Contend. Connect, continue, and consider. That's what the book of Jude's all about. And so this evening, just a short, simple reminder for us. A little bitty book, but it's powerful. And it reminds us, all of us have responsibilities to stay true to this book. The more this book is in you, the less the devil's going to be in you. And the more this book is in you, the less you're going to have fears and doubts and worries. 
And when somebody says, I can't sleep at night, the world's racing through my head like a railroad track, and I, I, I got so many things on my mind, I'm so worried about things, my answer is, not a pill, not a therapist. Let's look at some verses. You need some faith. You need to trust in God. And that gets us through. Gets us through the dark hours, as Jude was talking about us, gets through the good times, as we experience in different times in our life. And so this evening, if we can be in any help, if you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus, you need to do that by being baptized. And as we mention some things tonight, maybe there are some things you need to think about. Maybe you've let the devil walk right through the front door of your life. Maybe you've just looked the other way. Maybe he's offered you a bribe, and you took it, and you just let him in. Well, it's time to kick him out. It's time to put up a fight. Time to do what God wants us to do. If you're subject, why don't you come as we stand, as we sing.